I think uh, the fun part after the financial success is really the freedom money brings you, you know. So like today is just you know like all eyes on you and everything you say, everything you do. You know, so um, it was people who come for money go for more money. And so we were very lucky to be at the right place, right time. For like you know, 10, 15 years, I was told to go get a real job. To get lucky in life, you know, you need to be ready at the right time. Hello and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast, where we share hot tips on how to do life and business without losing your mind. I'm your host, Savita Nanjapa, entrepreneur, high-achieving 9-to-5-er turned transformational success coach, helping you create a wildly successful business. Come hang out with me and other fabulous humans like you every week for stories and chats packed with a healthy dose of tips, resources, how-tos, and real talk. Side effects may include a happier and more confident you with each passing day. Hi, and welcome back to the Success with Savita podcast. I'm very excited to bring to you our 100th episode, a big milestone for us on the podcast today. And we also have a fantastic guest, one of the biggest guests that we've had on the podcast. And I got to interview him with a live audience for the first time. Yes, no pressure. Earlier in March, the ladies who lead Bangalore chapter hosted an event where Nitin Kamath came in to talk about lessons in business to the members of the Bangalore chapter. And alongside Abba, the founder of uh, Ladies Who Lead, I had the opportunity to interview Nitin as well. And that's what you will hear in this conversation. We have questions from me. We have audience interaction and audience questions as well. First time in this format, of course, but I wouldn't have missed this opportunity for anything. So thank you so much, Ladies Who Lead, for the opportunity. And of course, Nitin, for being such a wonderful guest and I hope you are my audience who've been with me for these past 100 episodes and we've been growing week on week. Our downloads are growing. Our listenership is growing. Thank you for staying with me through these past two years listening into these episodes. We wouldn't be anywhere without you. I hope you enjoy this conversation and of course as always if you like the conversation leave us a review and a rating. Nitin Kamath needs no introduction just in case you haven't heard of Nitin or Zeroda. He's the CEO and co-founder of Zeroda, a financial services company that offers brokerage-free equity investments, retail, institutional broking, currencies, and commodities trading. And that's all that I've got to say as an introduction because the rest, including his journey, is what you're going to hear in this conversation. It's a long episode, but I assure you it's fascinating and an insightful look at the making of the brand. Nitin himself has leadership style his thought process, the way he thinks, the culture that they are creating together at Zeroda, um, there's a lot to take away. There's a lot to learn. And of course, it's hugely inspiring. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And welcome to our session with Nitin Kamath. If we can give him a big round of applause, please. He's very intimidated at being in this room full of women, but I think he'll be comfortable, you know, within a few minutes of all of us chatting. I just want to give a shout out to our Bangalore champion, Savita, who will be co-hosting this with me and to our partner, Lakshmi. Lakshmi, do you want to come up and just say a few words? Yeah. Lakshmi is the founder of Splainer, as you know. Hi. A big welcome to all of you. And I'm so excited to finally reach all the members and ladies who lead and our Splainer subscribers. It's like, I always am so happy when I see so, so, so many amazing women in the same room. And, um, you know, it's a fantastic first start for us. Awesome. So I'm Abha, as, and I know some of us have met the first time. I'm the founder of LWL. And the whole purpose of really coming together on this platform is for all of us to have a safe space to learn, share, grow, uh, meet amazing entrepreneurs and leaders like Nitin, who've taken the time out uh, to chat with us today. He was recently also awarded Entrepreneur of the Year by Economic Times. And he's uh, been at the Zenith, his uh, journey with multiple awards, recognition, and of course, killing it in the markets. <laughs> but what I love about Nitin is he's also a responsible entrepreneur. And uh, at Zeroda, we always hear them 
talk to investors about responsible investing, um, being very transparent, and really talking everyone through their journey with them. Uh, Lessons in Excellence is a closed-door format. Please feel free to ask whatever you want to ask. Uh, you know, anything that we record will be edited if you if you don't want it to be, if it's private. It's it's genuinely meant to be a closed room where you can share anything. And the idea is to have it very conversational. Uh, so I will ask you to jump in with your questions. But just to get started, Nithin, what's the fun part about being an entrepreneur? Um, no, I think, no, thanks for having me on. And yeah, it is. No, I've had a lot of wine in this place, you know, so, so this is going to be unlike all the other experiences in this place. But yeah, no, I think uh, the fun part after the financial success is really the freedom money brings, you know, so, right. So, so today it's a freedom of the money brings, uh, but, um, and also I think, um, you know, customers acknowledging uh, when you do something right for them is... Uh, I don't know if it's fun, but it is very fulfilling, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, outside that, is there really anything fun I do at work? I'm, I'm not sure. It's just, it's just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of grind. As in, uh, I think people from outside think it's a lot of fun. It's, it's more grind than fun. I think. So it doesn't get easier. With- no, I mean, it's, it's just it gets more and more, more and more complex as you get bigger. As in, I don't even think I. Like the skills required for the first four or five years of the business is very different from the next four or five years. Like today, like, you know, I need to spend a lot of my time speaking to regulators and and ministries and I, I don't know, I mean, like I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to be doing uh, stuff like that otherwise, you know. So, so yeah, so at, at different stages, I think you need to do different things. So. Okay. So how many of us are entrepreneurs? Just raise your hands. Yeah, pretty much every, almost everybody. And... Uh, you know, just to kind of touch base on where you're at in your journey, would would you guys say you're in the first five years or after that? First five years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, 13. So, mix mix bag. Does anyone want to jump in with a question straight off the bat? So, actually, you mentioned... Oh. It's very interesting that you mentioned that the skills are, are very different because first five years, I've been doing this since 13 years and... Uh, First five years are very different. Next five years are very different. And now it's very, very different. Um, so um, right, like right now, I'm spending my time on people more than anything else. So when did you actually start spending time on building your leadership team? Yeah, so yeah. So I think I think I should have rephrased. I should, I, I'll probably rephrase that first five years, next five years. I think it's about how much money you make as a business. You know? so, as in how many people you actually go and reach Right, as in, um, I think I really enjoyed Zerodha when we were not too big. Right? When you were not? Too big. Too big. You know, which is like, you know, we could be in stealth, no one bothered. Like today is just, you know, like all eyes on you and everything you say, everything you do, uh, you know, someone's judging you and you can get taken for cleaners if, if you said something wrong. So it's just a lot more pressure uh, that way. Uh, so even internally, I think the core team, you know, we sit and talk about 2017, 18, 19, you know, where we were focusing more on rewards than risk. Uh, today, it's mostly risk. You know, like every time you sit down, you're really talking about uh, if I do this, what's the risk? If I do this, what's the risk? If I do this, what's the risk? And and then if you say, okay, all the risks that tick, uh, you know, those checkboxes are on, then you think about, uh, so we kind of, uh, uh, you know, in a regulated business, you need to push the regulatory envelope in a way to innovate. Right? If you kind of stay within the boundaries of regulation, it's hard to innovate. And if there is no explicit explicit regulation that allows you to do it, uh, now as a as a as you become bigger, if you can't do it, then you are setting yourself for being disrupted, the way we probably you know uh, disrupted someone else. And and there is no status quo, right? As in, I mean, everyone's gonna get disrupted. So so like I I know that I'm in a, in a lot of these things that we do as a business, we are like a sitting duck to it. Because some of these things that we can't do because we are too big, and uh, and I know that someone who's just starting off will probably take that risk, and one of those initiatives that becomes too big might end up disrupting uh, what we're trying to, you know, I mean, disrupting our business as such. Uh, about leadership, I think, uh, I, I don't think we've done enough as, as a business. 
uh, you know, the core team is still the same core team uh, from uh, from many years back. And this is something that we are actively discussing within the organization now, is that uh, what if tomorrow morning I get up and I'm bored of this, right? And and what not just me, right? As in anyone else, as in Kailash, who had tech, he said, you know, what if I, I get up in the morning and I want to, you know, stop this, you know, like financial market bullshit. So, and, <laughs> you know, because for him, you know, he thinks about capital markets, you know, he's very anti-capitalism. So, you know, he's actually building a broking firm, so which is, you know, uh, like an oxymoron. So, uh, so yeah, so now we're thinking about this a, a lot more. Uh, one of the things we haven't done as a business is hire leaders from outside. Uh, so every single leader has kind of grown from within. And um, so we've spent a lot of time and effort on getting these people from from no skills to a certain level, which is why attrition is almost zero. We have lost zero people on our tech team. As in two people have left for personal reasons, but no one has quit us to go join another job. Uh, the core product team, everyone's on, you know, still works. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for the success of the business is really, you know, which isn't spoken about is the fact that the team's sticking together, right? And uh, like how money compounds with time, people's skill sets also compound with time, right? Uh, you know, what I've seen is the sweet spot is two, two and a half years. Like when someone joins you, he can get the overall context of the business in like between two to three years. And, but the thing is between two to three years is when people typically end up jumping jobs, right? Uh, so, if you're, so, you know, if you've invested two years in a person, and then you suddenly realize he's moving away, then what's the point of investing the two years? Uh, so we've taken a lot of um, effort, you know, um, and, and this is not something the money can solve. You know, this is not like, you know, I can throw money and, you know, get trainers. It's a, it's a very cultural thing. You know, you really want to be wanting your team to intellectually, professionally, you know, financially, in all ways grow, right? And um, so, yeah, I think I think one of the things we've done, right, is that, as in we've looked at each I think I probably know everyone on, you know, we are 1100 member team. I probably know each one by their name. You know, I, maybe, you know, out of that 300, 400 folks, I know enough to say what, you know, what will they drink tonight, you know, types, you know, so, and, uh, uh, and, and, and because we have thought of this, this whole leadership hasn't been such a big problem. Like, you know, in the sense, even if tomorrow morning I get bored, I know that it'll run because, you know, there are enough skilled people around, but, but, but I need to, you know, do a lot more there. <laughs> Thank you so much. I had a follow-up question for this. So uh, I come from education sector. It's a family business. And now we are in the transition of the core team. Uh, so which one, like with your uh, thoughts, I think that you would prefer that we grow the team, right? But what if like, you know, if you have a person outside of the team whom you want to recruit who has like commendable skill set, but would you still prefer like training the person in-house? Yeah. See, the thing is the way, at least, see, businesses, I think, can be built different ways, right? As in, there is, uh, like, for example, we haven't hired, like, a single person of brown ID, IM till date. Because what we realize is that, you know, they culturally don't fit into the business. Because the first question, if someone asks me, Nitin, what will I get out of the business? You know, when can I be this? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where I'll be tomorrow morning. So how will I tell you where you'll be three years from now? You know, so, right? Like, so, uh so I I know we we undersold to every single person, and as soon as you undersell to someone trying to join, um, they typically won't join. Also, as in you know, because if I say like like right now, you know, we have a bunch of you know we are interviewing two people, uh, experienced folk, and I, I'm telling them that you know we are, you know that we are at the peak of the bull market. You know, do you know that I'll probably not meet the same revenue and profitability that we did this financial year in the next two three years? So I'm setting that expectation right at the start. So so for me, I think personally, when, when you're hiring people, it's about a cultural fit, right? I mean, that beyond it, everything else. I mean, even if the guy doesn't have any skill set, doesn't matter, right? As in, because as long as you've got some common sense, people pick, pick up, you know? So, um, uh, I mean, how to test for common sense? I asked questions like, you know, five chocolates cost you 60, how much will it cost? I mean, if it, if, it, if it's going to take like a calculator out, then you know, probably he doesn't have, you know? So, uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, but but like I said, you know, every business works a certain way, um, and because we have built it like this culturally, uh, we find it very hard to recruit leaders from outside, right? Because as soon as you know, I, I have a conversation with the leader, he'll say something, something like, you know what? I'll come from there. I'll bring my team. I'll bring my business. I'm like, dude, I don't want a guy like you in my, you know, in like in our business, you know. So um, because people who come for money go for more money, you know. I mean, it's it's just it's just that. 
And um, so yes, it's, it's I think I think what is different with how we build Zeroda is you know it's very different philosophically. You know I mean because you know you see movies, you read books, people make these you know successful businesses businessmen as like cutthroat businessmen who will do anything for money, right? As in um, I think one of the reasons I've been very active on social media over the last two three years to say that you can also build it this way, which I would you know trying to like squeeze the last buck out of every person out there. You know? So. So I'm going to dive in and ask my question for, I want to go right to the start. And while we know for our audience here, we'd like to start with why and how you built, of course, uh, Zerota. Why was the reason? Because you were already, uh, you know, doing, um, you were already doing stocks at that time. And also what makes it successful beyond the obvious? I know you answered it's the team, but is there anything else that you'd like to add to that? Because I know that you have ease, you have simplicity. What else? Yeah. Um, no. I'll, okay. Two minutes. So I started trading at seventeen. Um, my dad was in the bank. He took us around the country. Um, he had invested in Reliance Industry, and that's how you know he spoke about stocks at home. So there was a little bit of introduction. I lived in a Marwadi neighborhood, uh, so I got introduced to trading the markets very early. And uh, uh, I joined a college. I dropped off. I did multi-level marketing to feed into my trading when I started. I worked in a call center between 2001 to 2005 uh, when I, I did, yeah, you know, this was when call center was very cool in Bangalore. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so uh, around 2004-05, I met this gentleman in the gym. He asked me, Nathan, what do I do for a living? I said, you know, I trade the markets because I joined the call center because I could trade daytime and work in lights. Uh, so I showed him my account performance. He said, why don't you manage money for me? Uh, I quit, started a portfolio advisory business. Uh, I became a franchisee of a bigger broker. Uh, Nikhil, my younger brother, joined me in 2006 seven. Um, he He's a better trader than I am. And uh, uh, and I always had the kida of, um, you know, going and talking about markets wherever possible. Not not in physical sense, because, you know, I find it very uncomfortable. No, but I ran, I ran some of the largest uh, Yahoo Messenger communities, Orkut communities some of the largest forums on trading and markets, you know, between 2001 to 2010. Uh, and, and all these interactions on these forums, you know, with very active traders, I kind of realized that there's probably an opportunity to be a better broker uh, for very active traders. You know, this was not meant to be what Zeroda is today, you know. I mean, uh, it was meant to be very putty, you know, like a small, like, you know, like in Bangalore, like I had friends back in you know, early 2000s you like rock music, you like beer, you go set up a small pub, like, you know, like, you know that stuff like that. So, yeah, so, uh, uh, and I mean, the idea with uh, start, starting Zero was that uh, we had made some money in 2008 when the markets crashed. So, so we, you know, I mean, I borrowed some money as well and we put together enough money to get it started. Uh, yeah, so 2010, we started as a, as a broker who was low cost and transparent, um, which is really the two, like, modes of sorts. Uh, Kalaj who joins, uh, who uh, built a uh, tech joiners in 2013. Um, Karthik joined in 2014, who's built Varsity Education Initiative. Uh, so I think, like, and, and the business, you know, I mean, we were, a lot of people give us credit that we somehow expanded the markets. I mean, we're not deluded enough to believe it, you know. So we were kind of right at the right place, right time, with the right products and initiatives when the markets expanded, yeah. right? And so we were very lucky to be at the right place, right time. Uh, and uh, yeah, so the business did well. Now, apart from what everyone sees of the business as in what makes it successful, I think what differentiates us is really the philosophy behind how we run the business, and which is really what we think is our moat, which is uh, to be able to say and do things which will be very hard for a venture capital-backed competitor to be able to do it, right? And one of the reasons why we didn't raise money, even though we got offered like insane amounts of money, you know, so is, uh, is because uh, we realized that, you know, the day you raise that money, it's going to bring obligation, that obligation to comp, you know, obligation to grow at any cost. And, uh, and what makes us different is really we care for the user. As in, when I say, almost every businessman says he cares for the user, right? Um, but, uh, but let, let me give an example. Like last year on, on, we have sent eight push notifications on our mobile app. Right in the entire year, I mean, some of competition send maybe eight in a week, right? And and the and the reason behind it, see, a push notification today is like the best ROI. Yeah. Like if you want to get someone's attention, just yeah. 
send a push note. I mean, one of these days it'll stop happening, right? Because every app is sending so many push notifications, right? But um, uh, but yeah, we fight saying, you know, like every notification, we're all saying, does it really have to be sent? Because we don't want to do to a customer what we don't like to be done to us. You know? I mean, I hate it when someone randomly sends me an SMS and yeah. push notification, email, you know, like, so I, I don't want to do this to our customer. And uh, and that's really what has helped the business and, and, and the profitability of the business. The only reason for that is we've spent zero rupees on marketing and advertisement till date. Mm-hmm. Right. So so we have 1.2 crore customers. And uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was that was like a long answer. <laughs> okay, no, that's a great uh, start to the question. So I have a follow-up for that, and then we'll take it back to the audience. Um, so what were your early challenges? This is the summary, but what's the unsexy side of growing this business? What were those early challenges that you had? No, I, th- I think I had more challenges before Zeroda than after Zeroda because, you know, I started trading very early. I come from a South Indian Brahmin family, you know, so... And, you know, everyone's done engineering in a software job. So for like, you know, 10, 15 years, I was told to go get a real job. And you know? so, uh, and so I think, I think that the, the challenge before Zeroda was so, I mean, and, and I blew, blew up three, four times. Um, and like I said, you know, uh, those challenges made this whatever challenges post Zeroda actually like a child's, yes. yeah, child's play dice. But, 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 but in the business, the first two, three years, just Telling people that we are a credible financial services. Right. Right. Uh, one thing that people don't know about is that at Zeroda today, we have between two and a half lakh to three lakh crores of customer securities lying with us. So we are probably the second largest in the country, you know, behind ICICI or so. So, uh, so that trust that has gotten built, uh, it didn't happen overnight. You know, I mean, a lot of it happened in the last five, six years. But, but the first five, six years was a struggle, you know, just for people to be able to trust that here is a low cost firm because as soon as someone says low cost, yeah, you question the quality of the service right. and the product. And True. It. At what point did you realize, oh, this is it? Now we've made it. We are. It's really like we are successful now. Was there a point, or was it so <laughs> gradual and just you know, you knew from day one that you arrived? No, no I mean, I, was there a point I, of I, arrival which was momentous? <laughs> no. There is no arrival. I still get up sometimes and question myself. What am I doing? You know, I mean, this, this, you know, this, this, you know, this problem. Don't. I, I don't think you know money solves for that problem. You know, so uh, there's no we arrived. I don't think there's any arrived. Doesn't. But at a point, you must have said, okay, this is working. We know what we are doing. Right. We got there. So. Yeah, I think I think uh, in 2015, you know, when once Kalash joined us, uh, we launched our first in-house app in 2015. You know, which is we call it Kite. And in 2015, December, you know, is a funny incident. Uh, you know, me and Kailash were going to Cochin for a press conference. And, um, you know, I was having a beer at the airport. And I'm like, you know, so when we started the business, we started with the idea that we want to build for very active traders. By But by 2015, we realized that active traders are maybe like 5 lakhs, 10 lakhs in this country, right? I mean, and we were ambitious by then. And um, so we wanted the business to be for investors now. Uh, but we were getting labeled as a, a broker only for active traders because, I mean, that was the intent, you know, so, but now we wanted to remove the label. Uh, so, yeah, so over a beer, we decided, why don't we go zero brokerage for equity investing? And, um, yeah, I, I mean, the freedom of, of not having venture capitalists is you can, you know, you can act on some of these, you know, gut-based instinctive decisions much faster. And uh, so, yeah, so it was December sometime and... Um, and then somehow Economic Times decided to feature me as top 10 businessman to watch out for in 2016 because of that one decision over a beer. <laughs> so, and and I'm like, you know, 2016, they said number one Mukesh Ambani for Reliance Geo because it, it was launching in 2016. And, and then said number two Nitin for Zeroda. I mean, I, I'm like, you know, our office was like, dude, what's happening? Types, you know, like, why are we listed in this, you know, in this list? No, the reason I'm saying that story is because for us, credibility is important and a press saying something, you know, especially economic times make a lot of difference. So, so that one kite, the web app, um, this whole PR, you know, whatever blew up after uh, we said zero brokerage. And the most important part is account opening became completely online in 2016 when Aadhaar, you know, you could use Aadhaar for online. So those three things together in 2016 is I think the first time we felt like, ah, 
you know, maybe this business will scale it. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Before I continue to monopolize your attention, we'll go back to the audience. Do you have some questions? Anyone? Yeah, go for it. Oh. Yeah. Hi, I'm Isha. Um, so a few days uh, earlier, you posted on LinkedIn that, you know, valuations are overrated, you know. And before that, I think your brother um, uh, mentioned on LinkedIn again uh, that, you know, we don't look at numbers or, you know, analysis. We don't have analysis paralysis. We look at numbers, but, you know, to a certain degree and then we decide quickly and move on, right? So it goes on to show that maybe at Zerodha, you guys are doing things differently. What are the things that you put your money on or, you know, you, you really believe in that these are the three or four things that we believe in and we are going to either follow that or these are the metrics we are going to be looking at? Right. Uh, no, internally, I think one of the things we've done right, again, works in the cultural context, is to never put any targets, right? So there are no goals and no targets. Uh, you know, so we get up saying, you know, you do something a little better and every day and you will get to where you have to get. It's a, it's a, it's a philosophical thing, right? As in, uh, uh, because the, the issue with putting goal posts is that every time you go closer to it, you're going to push it further down. You're never going to reach your goal in your life, right? As in, you know, like, I started with a rupee number thinking I'll retire. Now there are many zeros to it and I'm not, right? As in, so there is, there is, you know, those kind of goals make no sense at all. And and the thing is, you know, once you have these goals which you can never reach, then it almost feels like you're, you know, you know, one of these, one of these hamster wheels types, right? As in, um, so philosophically, that's how, you know, we decided. So, uh, what we focus significantly on is... Uh, like on customer support, for example, on our products, right? As in, we spend a lot of time and so uh, we spend uh, uh, a lot of time and effort on that. And 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 this is not something money can solve. Right? It doesn't mean that you pay the most amount of money, you'll find the best support team, right? It's it's a very it's a it's a very cultural thing. For example, internally at Zeroda, we run a forum which is called Inside Zeroda. Uh, it's one of those open source uh, discourse forums. Um, I think I spent at least one or two hours day, a day there, you know, and just interacting with people, just sharing, you know, uh, and openly. I mean, it's not like you know, it's not like I'm trying to always constantly have a propaganda in, in my mind, you know. But the but the objective of picking up client conversations which have worked well, the ones which haven't worked well, talking openly about issues like you know, what if I get bored tomorrow morning. Like, I don't think, you know, in OVS, you know, you have leaders coming and saying, you know, I think I might get bored tomorrow morning, so I need to think of another way of life, right? Uh, and and asking the question of everyone else as well, because, you know, one of the things with our business is that everyone's staying on board, right? As in, uh, you you will get bored at some point of time doing the same thing over and over again. So, so yeah, so it's not really money that goes into it, but it's a lot of time and effort that goes into all of this. Uh, even on the product side, I think Kailash is a is a monster, you know. Like every single thing at Zeroda is free and open source. Um, uh, everything that we build is also open sourced. So it's again a very philosophical thing. Uh, like for example, uh, our email sending utility we call it ListMonk. I mean, when I say we, uh, Kailash has built this for us. Uh, he calls it ListMonk. It's open sourced. We send I think close to 100 million emails a month. We spend like 1,200 rupees sending it. Now, if we had taken one of these enterprise MailChimp types, you know, I mean, we would have probably spent millions of dollars on, on something like that, right? Um, so I think uh, owning every piece of software that we uh, that we rely on as a business is also something that we put a lot of time and effort on, right? Because this whole dependencies on, on external vendors and parties can disrupt your, your operations very easily in a, in a tech-first business. Right, as in one of these days you can get up and suddenly realize one of the vendors not working, and then, or one of the vendors suddenly says, you know what, I'll I'll do hundred percent increase in my revenue because it's whatever COVID, you know, and uh, uh, so yeah, so so those things are where uh, you know we kind of put a lot of time and effort. The money in itself, uh, it's you know it, there has been a lot of financial success. Uh, we allocated a lot of it to startups. So we run Rain Matter FinTech, which is like a startup initiative. Uh, we have around 100 startups there. Um, all of them solving for money problems in some way, uh, you know, helping Indians do better with money. Uh, we have extended that into Rain Matter Health, 
uh, I'm kind of passionate about health, fitness, etc. And I think you know there should be more conversations around health and fitness in mainstream, you know, uh, uh, India. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. Stay tuned as we take a quick break, and we'll see you on the other side of the show. Uh, so yeah, so we are helping startups which are making it easier for Indians to make healthier choices. Uh, and then eventually, I think in 2020, when we had this whole stupid year uh, in terms of how much money we made, you know, we said it's it's kind of ugly to be sitting on so much money when your business doesn't really need so much money. And uh, we set up Brain Matter Foundation, and we've allocated like a hundred million dollars to this uh, to support. Uh, not for profits and for profits working in climate change and livelihoods, uh, creation of livelihoods. And the way we have done is for for profits, any upside goes back to the foundation again. Uh, and Nikhil manages our uh, treasury of sorts. Uh, so we hold, you know, like stakes, you know, in, in in a bunch of companies, and we are sitting on a lot of gold. You know, so I'm saying it today because we just made all time highs. So. Why not? Proud moment. Follow up question on where you spoke about the gold bonds. Uh, so I, my business is into jewelry and I uh, focus on creating sustainable and responsible diamonds. Uh, so my question to you really is, um, I've been a solopreneur and bootstrapped for the past seven to eight years. Uh, and currently I'm in the position where I'm challenging myself in terms of scale. Um, and the question that normally comes to me in my mind is, if I'm looking at scale, then there's, uh, you know, is it uh, directly correlated to, let's say, funding your investment? And then you can see a certain amount of scale vis-a-vis -vis, you still let the business just grow organically, uh, especially if you're hard pressed on cash, you still let it grow organically uh, over a period of time. So since, you know, Zerodha also was bootstrapped, so that's something that I, you know, very closely follow. Uh, so till now, I've not seeked anything, but I wanted to know your views on, you know, how and or is it product related? Like you would look at a product or service that your business is in. And if it doesn't, let's say, is not inventory heavy, then you don't need that kind of, uh, you know, investment. But if it is inventory heavy, then you anyway, which for scale will have to go uh, the funding way. Yeah, uh, like I said, I don't, I don't think we ever thought of scale, right? In a sense, we didn't really think of, like, we never got up and said we need to grow to this size. Uh, it was just accidental, you know. I mean, it just. Um, I think a bunch of philosophies that we followed helped when we actually ended up scaling. Because in a tech world, you know, in a in a business like ours, on a on a day we execute between ten to twenty million transactions, uh, in a in a six hour window. So uh, the scale here is: are you is your technology and you know, I mean good enough to be able to manage the scale? Um, and we learned this the hard way. So 2017, 18, we had a bunch of down days. Uh, what I think our tech team did was to build grounds up versus not doing a patchwork. Because if you look at traditional business, one of the reasons, you know, if you pick up any banking app, for example, it's really the same app from 20 years back, right? Because, you know, it's just, they keep doing patchwork, over oh, patchwork, over oh, patchwork. I think what we did differently is, uh, today the Kite, which we, you know, the trading app, it's actually the fourth version of it in the last, what, seven or eight years. When I say fourth version is not upgrades, it's really, you know, we destroyed it and built it grounds up. Um, so one is scale there. One is scale in terms of being in, in, our, in our context is about being able to support customers. Um, I think COVID taught us a bunch of lessons uh, because I used to think of support, you know, scaling support more as uh, throwing more people at this problem to solve it, you know, like. Um, but COVID, you know, as soon as COVID hit, we were like, you know, we need to solve for it in a, in a different way. So we went and automated all the processes. We we're trying to figure where all the inefficiencies lie. And uh, we haven't added a single one person additional. Like I said, before COVID, we we're at 1 million customer. We are at 11 million customer. We are at 1,100 people on the team today. And and we could do it because, you know, we just sat down and, you know, we just said, where all can you improve? There is, I think, over time, right, every business bloat gets built up. If you if you don't actively remove the bloat, you know I think it just it just adds up, you know, without unknowingly as well. So I think uh, uh, as a as a as an entrepreneur, it's about understanding where the bloat is, and removing the bloat is a hard job. You know, as in, you know, it's it's not it's these are not easy decisions, right? I mean, these are hard decisions, and and I think instinctively we all like to postpone the hard decisions, and 
so yeah, so for us, thankfully, COVID kind of uh, uh, forced us to, you know, like, you know, take some of these hard decisions. I'll, t- I'll tell you what I mean by hard decision. So we had like a large inbound support team. Uh, so what it meant is when customers opening an account drops off, um, we used to call the customer asking for, oh, why did you drop off? You know, let me help you open an account. Um, so, you know, we've been running this for like, I think, seven, eight years before that. Uh, so I thought it works, right? I mean, so maybe we are calling, so that's why the conversion's happening. Uh, so when COVID happened, so we needed 100 more people on the support team. But we had like a 500-member inbound support team, inbound sales team. And so we moved like, I think, 50 or 60 people to our support team. And we realized it made no difference to the conversions, right? And and then slowly we kept reducing. And one day I said, you know, we don't need an inbound sales team. Our conversions have actually gone up. So uh, it is, uh, it, it was... I think it was just obvious, but I didn't maybe see it because it was a hard decision to move 500 people from sales to support because it it meant me having to deal with them emotionally, right? Because they're all used to a certain way of working. You know, how do you suddenly get up and say what you're doing is of no use, right? As in, um, uh, so like that. So, but in in your context, uh, like of a physical inventory-led business, I mean, I unfortunately I don't know if there's a way to do this without raising funds, right? As in, if you want to, uh, you know, in the tech world, you can leverage, you know, it kind of your economies of scale hits without actually having to spend too much money. And in a physical world, it's really hard, right? As in, if say, you know, uh, if she wants to have like 10 other grasshoppers like this, you have to raise funding, right? As in, it's 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 unlikely that, you know, like an upside from this can be used you know, it'll, it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen slowly and steadily over time. Um, yeah, so I think if, like, one thing about funding is, uh, which not too many people talk about and I talk about, is really, you know, raising money also brings us a lot of obligation along with it, right? And uh, and the, I think in the context of what we had said last week on LinkedIn as well and what I'd said was raising money at high valuation is... I think actually quite bad for the business, right? Because you're setting an expectation that you will outperform whatever's the expectation. And if you don't outperform, you will be an obligation to do all the stupidity to outperform, right? Uh, and which is what is happening around, right? As in, if you see all the startups who raise a lot of money, they at a lot of valuation. I mean, they're amazing businesses on their own. Like, uh, it's just that they're not amazing businesses at that valuation. Right, and then you're you're try you know you're forced to justify that valuation by doing a bunch of stupidity, and that's when the business goes bad, and and it actually hurts. You know, I mean, I know so many of my friends who built great businesses, but not at those valuations, right? Maybe at one third of those valuations, right? And now they're you know they're stuck into, uh, into this you know trying to justify that valuation. So yeah, so if there's you know if uh, I would say if you're raising funds, an advice would be to you know, undersell uh, to an investor, even at the cost of raising at a lower valuation. Uh, because then, you know, your life post that becomes so much more easier versus, you know, having oversold and raised, you know, at a, at a much steeper valuation. So jumping back in, I want to take off on the answer that you had. You, you scaled very fast uh, within a short period of time, especially around the time the pandemic hit. So was there, did you already have processes, systems to be able to handle that load? Or was there some kind of, you know, living by the seat of your pants kind of situation in that time as you were scaling so fast? Yeah, so uh, so like I said, the first real time we saw scale was in 2017-18. Um, I think that was the closest in this journey where I've come close to the edge saying, I need to jump off the building. <laughs> so because, you know, because, you know, like, when you built this business with so much love for the customer, when you get the customer hate, it's it's really hard, right? Um, so yeah, so we had a bunch of days where uh, you know the platform didn't work as expected. Uh, so the decision to rebuild was was probably you know I mean was definitely the right one. And uh, so when 2020 happened, we were kind of ready. Like I said earlier, right? As in, when you get lucky, I mean. To get lucky in life, you know, you need to be ready at the right time, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, firstly, it's about surviving enough to be at the right time. Yeah. And and then to be able to have the products and initiatives ready, you know, and that's when I think you can really get lucky. So 
uh, so yeah, so instead of doing a patchwork in 2017-18, the decision to rebuild uh, kind of helped uh, 2020 because 2020 March, April, May were probably the most volatile stock markets I've ever been. Right, and uh, even some of the largest brokers in the U.S. were down for hours together, and we had maybe like a five-minute downtime in like a three-four month, you know. So, so people, the reliability as well kicked in, right? As in people who comparing were saying, "Oh, I know it's a roller's up, but you know all these guys are down." Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a lot of the people think, you know, the business is done well because of low cost. Yeah, I think low cost is really the least of the reasons. Everything else is really the reason why the business is done well because no one wants to compromise on quality. Yeah, uh, at low cost. True. Right. That's good. Uh, my next question for you is around: You are big on communities. You were looking. I mean, taking care of so many communities today. How do you manage to uh, get the pulse of your audience? Do you have um, a mechanism to get that feedback loop going? How do you stay in touch with what your market is saying? Yeah, so uh, uh, we run a, a, a forum called Trading Q and A, uh, where you know I I actively answer people's queries. Um, so I spend at least ten fifteen minutes a day on that. Uh, we run a blog called Z Connect every day, ten fifteen. Trading Q and A every day. You know, it's like a yeah. I mean, it's my routine. You know, that inside where I interact. So every morning I I get up and you know after all my morning chores. You know, so. I sit down and I have like thirty, forty minutes, just going through like a bunch of the. Because I think for me, it, my intelligence is really from there, right? As in, uh, because I can't consume content on social media. It's just, you know, I I fire and forget, you know. So you know, I I don't I don't bother to you know see comments and what people are saying because it's just a rabbit hole. You know, I I um, even social media. I was not really in my personal name. I was not active till two thousand nineteen, twenty. You know, I somehow believed in the power of the press. uh you know and i i know i used to meet journalists i used to do india darshans you know like go across meeting journalists from one city to the other because i thought if the journalist wrote about you as a business you know it'll improve credibility right. but i think around 2017 18 is when we saw the power of the press waning mm-hmm. right and social media taking over and i was i was maybe like couple of years too late uh so i i, I went i think live on linkedin and twitter in 2019 late 2019 and um So yeah, so in in the initial days, I thought I'll also consume, right? As in, I'll also get market intelligence. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it is a lot more distracting. So uh, I just, I just say stuff, whatever we have to say, and because that's also like a community building. I think you need to be in control of your narrative today. True. Yeah, you can't rely on a on a journalist to be able to build your narrative. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, um, I think that also is my job, as in. I don't. I don't just randomly say something. Uh, so I have a team uh, there. You know, like I have three people who are supposed to block me from all stupidity. Okay. So, so if you know, I mean, if I have anything to say, I usually draft it on a Google Doc, and I firstly sleep over it okay. overnight. I look at it next day, and I'm like, am I saying it just for the heck of saying it? Because on social media, it's very easy to get carried away, right? Yeah. Because You know, every every time someone likes, retweets, whatever, it's a dopamine hit, yeah. right? And so you're inclined to just randomly keep saying stuff, and uh, uh, so yeah. So I understand that you know I, I'm bound to do stupidity. So so first I I draft stuff and I sleep over it. Then I have these three guys to look at it okay. and say you know, and and have the license to shoot kill types. You know, in the sense they they actually tell me. I think I haven't said half the things I wanted to say with them because these guys blocking it out saying, "Hey, then you know what? You're just saying it for your dopamine hits," is what they're saying. So and right. um, so you have your own filters and house filters. No, I think I think you know. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's how you keep in touch with the consumer. Yeah. So um, I'm a newbie to the stock market, and uh, thanks to your small case, I've gotten into it, and I'm really enjoying it. uh i have two small questions how can i better this because i do find this intimidating and it's very overwhelming so how can i make that better and second is with this kind of huge success what what keeps you ticking what is your next big goal i mean have you yeah just out of curiosity yeah so i think i think investing uh is is like music it's like sport i think it's like an art right uh, i mean you either enjoy it or you don't right uh and if you're not enjoying it i don't think you should force yourself to enjoy it 
right? Uh, but if you enjoy it, you will figure stuff out. As in, you know, if you enjoy just looking at trends, looking at, like, you know, uh, asking these questions, right? As in, oh, there's a lot of bread here. Who's going to make money if more people are consuming this? Like, you know, th th that kind of curiosity is something, you know, if, if you're someone who likes stuff like that, uh, you'll automatically, you know, figure this stuff out. There is no, it's, it's no rocket science. It's about um, just looking around and just constantly asking questions about who benefits and who doesn't with anything that's happening around you. You see a lot of buildings, oh, who's going to benefit out of this? You see a lot of, um, you know, what's the latest trend? Kombucha, for example. You know, is there someone, you know, who's going to benefit out of all the kombuchas that are getting sold? So, uh, yeah, well, it's it's like that. But if it's, you know, if it's not, if, if you don't really like it, it can become stressful because uh, you know, the thing about trading and investing is every time you make money, there is no gray, right? There is either right or wrong. I mean, you either made money, you didn't make money. Like like everything else in life, you know, it's always gray, right? As in, like, have I done well in life? I don't know. I mean, I mean, of course, financially I've done okay, but you know, that's not, I don't know the answer to that question, right? But it, with stock markets, it's really black and white. I mean, if you're in the money, you're right. You know, if you're not in the money, you're not. So it can get stressful if you know you very actively start participating and you have to look at a PNL on a daily basis, right? So, uh, so my advice would be that do it with as little money as possible, and only if you enjoy it, um, increase the capital. Otherwise, don't. Um, yeah, and about what gets me up every day, I think I think right now. Uh, so we started the business saying we want to reduce trading costs. Uh, then it became about education. Then it became about the platform. Then it became about all these startups and newer experience that we can offer the customer. You know, but internally the question you're asking is, okay, we've done so, you know, quite well as a business, we made a lot of money, but what's really the point of existence, right? As in, why do we exist as a business? Is to help our customers do better with the money. And have we done it? Maybe not, right? As in, a fancy, like a Ferrari doesn't mean a guy who's driving the Ferrari knows how to drive the car, right? So so the question that we are internally asking is that, is that how do we help our customers do better with their money? And it's a really complex problem, as in it's not, it's not an easy problem to solve. But what we've realized internally is that using technology, we can maybe help people reduce the money mistakes, right? The thing about money is, I don't think there's any right things to do, but like because every person is different, uh, but bunch of four or five basic money management rules. If you can avoid it, the odds of you doing better with money increases, right? And and some of these money mistakes are something that we're trying to incorporate within the app. So for example, uh, the first one incorporated was a penny stock nudge. Uh, you know, if you are buying a penny stock at Zeruda, we scare the shit out of you, you know? So we are actively telling you not to buy the penny stock because the odds of you doing well is not, so think of this way, as in, say, assuming you go to Amazon uh, and you try looking for an iPhone and say you tell Amazon that you say, just for example, that you make 50,000 rupees a month. Uh, if you don't have the money today, Amazon will ask you to buy uh, on a credit, right? But what if Amazon said, you know, what are you smoking? Why are you buying a two lakh rupee phone when you make 50,000 rupees salary? As in, right? I mean, which is what Amazon should ideally be telling you if they really cared about you as a customer, right? And... Uh, but it's not possible for a business which is venture-funded, listed, to be able to take these kind of decisions. And so we think today we are in a place of privilege to be able to say and do some of these things. And then us saying and doing a bunch of these things will influence some of our competition to uh, maybe, you know, do some of this as well. Uh, so, so I, you know, we think of success as an obligation to, uh, to get up every day and say, you know what, we think we can fix one industry in India, and uh, and and yeah, I mean that's that's really what keeps us going in this. Hi, uh, so I run a travel creation company, and we are beyond our seven years. Um, we have we all of us as entrepreneurs have had really um, you know tough times, and your business is a new business. Mine was a new business. People questioned us when we started. Said, "How are you going to make money? What would be your three commandments?" to an entrepreneur who dares to take something different and go ahead and make it happen? 
Oh my God, that's that's like a tough one. Okay, three commandments. No, I think I think you know I was <laughs> yeah. No, I was just telling. I think it's even before you take entrepreneurship, right? I think why are you doing it is really the first question, right? As in, uh, I think no, I I'm I think of life as risk to reward in everything I do. You know, I I've traded whole a lot of my life. I love my poker. I, you know, so everything in my life is is about risk to reward, and I think the odds of getting lucky increases if you can survive long enough, right? And uh, to be able to survive long enough, you need to be able to build around something that you like, love to do, right? Because if you're not doing it, you know, you'll probably not, you know, kind of grind it out. And um, so, yeah. So first thing usually is, you know, pick a business that you like, love to do. Second is building a business is really hard, and I think you need to kind of build core competencies before you build it. You know, so it's like you know you need to sharpen the axe before you go chop wood. So, so second usually I say you know is, is you know b- go find a job and learn something you know before you actually try to build some build a business. Uh, third is I I think I I don't think people. Um, understand the power of word of mouth in today's world, right? I mean, so if someone's already like, you know, I don't know, I don't have three for after the business, but after the business starting, I think the one thing is word of mouth in today's networked world is really, really, really powerful. You know, I mean, if you can if you can do what is right for the user, customers will come to you, right? I don't think, um, I don't think you have to, you know, think of user acquisition and growth and all of those as much. And uh, yeah, I think we are, like I said, we are, we are, you know, the reason I talk about it is because we are like an example, as in the fact that we have gotten to like almost like 1.2 crore customers without any marketing, right? So, so yeah, just just be constantly thinking about the customer and doing what is right and continue maybe to second commandment, prioritize long term over short term. Right, because uh, as a business, we are always thinking one quarter away, one year away, uh, and that's how we are all wired because of the ecosystem around us. So at Zeroda, we always think five years away, right? Uh, because what is right for one year is hardly ever right for five years, right? And uh, but yeah, but if you are always compromising on what is right for the long term, for you know, for whatever short term momentary growth. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, it it probably doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, I found it interesting that in many of your responses, you spoke about company culture, right? Whether it was uh, metrics or leadership or many other things, you spoke about the culture and how it's contributed to the stickiness in some sense. So, as you've grown and scaled, right? There is obviously a passion, a purpose, uh, you know, an ethos that your core, you and you know, your the founders and some of the core team has. Um, how do you translate that across the company? Because that inflection point is perhaps the most difficult as you grow and and translating that passion down the ground to everyone. Uh, so would love to hear a little from you on how you'll have managed that and how you continue to see that happen. I mean, I don't know if you managed you know, to be very honest. And I, uh, I think, you know, if tomorrow morning I get bored and um, I'm not around, I'll get to know, you know, if, if all of these things have actually worked. Uh, but... So today, uh, uh, like I can sense that culturally we have done a decent job because the decision-making process of other teams are also very similar. The question is, uh, the first thing is, if is it right for the customer? You know, just just asking the question before you do anything, even if it's right for the business. Like just to give an example, um, like recently, you know, one of our team members said one of these banks will give us like a you know like if we use their payment gateway they will give us some money right but not in you know in some convoluted way right and uh, so I was I was just silently you know kind of listening on the conversation and uh, and then the consensus was that I don't think we should do anything to take money which comes through a convoluted non-regulatorily clean way it's not just worth it, right? And so, yeah, so just seeing that was like, oh, okay, you know, like it's it's, uh, it's maybe culturally they're thinking, you know, thinking right. So, uh, but it's hard. It's hard. Uh, 
like for me to even know if we have done a decent job uh, but considering that like this whole uh, we have a very flat organization and uh, there is usually if there is a cultural mismatch right people leave when there are opportunities and it's not like we are paying more than anyone like everyone else like you know there are a lot of competitors out there who will give 20 30% bump just to hire people from us the fact that people are saying no to that money for you know whatever the work culture they get is also just a i mean i don't want to end up paying more than the market because then i i'll myself be questioning are they all hanging around because i'm paying more you know so 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 yes i was shocked to find out that you don't have targets in your company so i'd like to understand what's your performance management system and uh, as a follow up question i would also uh, first let's let's answer that then i'll ask if there's time i'll ask another question <laughs> uh okay uh you know, so yeah so for for the majority of the support team uh we just care about what how the customer rates the interaction right as in um uh, so as long as the customer is is rating the interactions well we are we're like it's okay um and then uh for the team we kind of take a, an average in terms of so we are always constantly trying to you know respond to a customer as soon as possible so there is a as soon as possible defined and that that definition changes based on the volume and so if someone is slacking we'll get to know immediately saying that you know he's is not really doing whatever some minimum required uh so majority of the support team is actually straightforward to do i think where it gets a little tougher is the the tech team the product team because it's very hard to say how much time and effort has like like some products take time to build some don't you know so so you can't just put a time and say you know what you need to build this much in this much time we never measure outcomes because i think outcomes in terms of how many people will actually use the product is is luck of the draw you know i mean like i you know i don't think you can reward people based on out- outcomes because that anyway is not in their control right as in um uh So so yeah so we just care about if the product was built without any glitch if you know if we are doing risk management teams are they ensuring that we are not taking too much risk our back office teams how many mistakes they didn't make right so I mean, these are the ways we define um, you know like uh, whatever whatever is the uh, like success of each of these teams of sorts and um, Like we know that if you do all of this well we will do whatever we are supposed to do in terms of new business and because in 2020 i would have never thought we will grow 5x in the next year right if you have defined saying you know i want to grow 1.5x maybe you would have then built for the business for 1.5x right and you would have maybe lost out on the fact that you could actually have done 5x on that year so if you let that outcome i you know that's how i think at least you know is that if you don't define a certain upside it also allows you to just just grow kind of quite a bit as well in a sense yeah no i i think it's just cultural fit you know it's uh, it's it's back to that right as in uh because especially our tech team i mean in 2021 22 people have been offered 100% 150% 200% hikes and they've stuck around and uh, i think because they're all enjoying what they're building and the fact that what they're building you know the mission and vision of the business which is we need to help people do better with their money and we want to be setting example for others to follow some of what we do the fact that through rainmart of fintech we are supporting entrepreneurs who are you know extending and building stuff and through rainmart of foundation we are doing whatever so everyone sees you know it's it's like uh you know they all think that their contribution is leading to all of this and which is what i think keeps yeah the purpose is really what keeps people together <laughs> how do you create this long term buy in and you know obviously philosophically you've done this and you've done this commit in a in a way that's so completely different to the mainstream a vc kind of rat um so i run an environmental startup and often i'm trying to explain to investors that you know i don't have a repeat rate because i don't want them to buy and pollute at this insane massive unprecedented rate so how do you get like that buy in <laughs> when for that long term goal rather than this like short term? yeah no i think i think you get the need to get the buy in before you get the money you know it's, it's hard to get the buy in after getting the money you know so 
Like if you take money only from people who care about it, you know, you already have a buy-in because they actually put the money on table for that, right? It's it's. I think it's about selecting the right investors, and um, I, I mean, we've we've gone to startups and given money saying, make sure you don't use it to grow fast, right? Because you know, you're growing too fast is not good for the you know for the environment and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode and you want more, you can go to the show notes on my website, which is successwithsavita.com forward slash podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, I would be grateful to you if you could leave me a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend who may find this useful. You can also follow me on my Instagram at successwithsavita and DM me any questions you may have and I will be happy to answer them for you. Until the next episode, believe in yourself and all the best to your success.